okay, guys. I'm I uh, I'll be the only one who's worried about timing. Okay. <laughs> Ugh. Fine. I'll count Ugh. us down. I'm counting us down. All right. We're recording. Uh, in three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out. We are the retrospective that's introspective. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> finger motions are what make it really the most disturbing. Yeah, like mincing his hands like a goblin. Ugh, it's the it's the introspective. Yeah, you gotta really you gotta you gotta oh, really get point. it in yeah. there. The finger up introspective. <laughs> was just... Come on, guys. Ugh, That's no how you gotta do it. You gotta you gotta go to the back and you gotta put it in. We're starting early. Just what? oh. I should probably introduce myself. Uh, <laughs> I am Tori J. Miller, um, and uh, you know Lex Michael. You do. I do. Who does, though? No Who one really does. knows him? Who can down. know anybody, truly? That's yeah. true. Uh, and while I think about that, uh, I imagine that you're wondering who this other voice is. Who is this mystery man Ooh. who's with these <laughs> sexy fellows? Uh, well, that's uh, Dave Child. Oh, it's Dave Child. Hi, I'm Dave Child. Damn. 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 How's it going, everyone? Dave Child. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as you know, or if you don't, we are on the social medias. You can find us at Missing Outcast. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T, Missing Outcast. But if you also want to hit us up, uh, you don't want the rest of this podcast to see, you can hit us up on our personal Like if you Twitters. really want to talk shit about one of us and yeah. you don't want everybody else to know about it. Yeah. So you just, that's what they call, that's what the kids call subtweeting. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Damn. Damn. I'm, I'm in with the lingo, the... The children's <laughs> lingo. That's dank. That's dank. Bleak. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, the dankest. Dank. Lit. Um, lit. So, Szechuan yeah. sauce. I know all this stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, if you want to send those sweet, dank, lit, Szechuan, sleek <laughs> messages. Ooh, it's szechuan <laughs> Um, hit us up on our social medias. You can find me at Tari J, T E U R I J A Y. I'm on all the social medias at the Lex Michael. And I'm at MR Dave Child or DaveChild.com because I'm <laughs> Dave Child. <laughs> Wait, who are you again? Oh, I'm Dave Child. I'm going to write that down. Yeah, okay, good. Do. Um, so, Dave, you brought in. Uh, a really fun movie. I guess fun isn't the adjective I'd like fun, to use. It was fun at times. I mean, it was. Like, I wanted though. So when we talked about having you on, you and I, we do a couple shows together, and it was after one of them. We're hanging out outside the studio, and I was throwing the idea at you of coming on and talking about a horror movie. And I said, yeah. "What would you like to come on and talk about?" And you were like, "Oh, are you doing Texas Chainsaw Massacre?" I was like, "We are," and you missed it. And the next yeah. thing that you said was, "What about Wes Craven's New Nightmare?" Yeah. Because I wanted to do one that is, I think, was missed by a couple of people. Like, it's kind of, it's not seen as the thing. I don't know. Because everyone has seen Nightmare on Elm Street. So, to talk about Nightmare on Elm Street, it's just, I assume you guys have both seen it. And the, the point of this whole thing is, one of you hasn't seen this thing that we're about to talk about. Right. right. So, I wanted to pick something that, 
for sure both of you saw Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. Why well, I, right? I texted. Did you see Nightmare on Elm Street? Um, the original? Yes. I saw it a long time ago. A long time ago. See, because yes. when I texted you about this concept, I said, have you seen any Nightmare on Elm Street movies? And you said, yes, one and three. And I went, oh, that's right. perfect. That's what, what most people see. They see yeah. one and three. But the new Nightmare is actually better than three. And I think it's. I think people should just see one and new Nightmare. I think those are the ones to see. But it's also good to see all of them. You just see the de-evolution of Freddy Krueger <laughs> once you watch it. all of them because it just he just turns he's like a horrifying figure in the first movie and then he just turns into Bugs Bunny yes as, as you watch it or Mixie McPickalick from Mix, he is a little bit Mixie Piddlelicky yeah however you say the impronounceable name from uh, Superman but he's just like you know he's he's just goofing on these kids while he's killing them. He's like spoofing all these. He's spoofing video games. He's spoofing yeah, the one popular that we, culture. He came up when we were talking about Jason Lives, and the one that I referenced was in Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare, where he's killing Breck and Meyer with the video game. Yeah. And once you've arrived at Freddy with the game controller, looking at the TV, going like, "Great graphics." It's really hard to find this character all that intimidating. No, he's like you. He's goofy, and you like him, and that's. What I like about New Nightmare is it's the only time I've seen this in a franchise where it's really late into the franchise. This is, what, the sixth? Seventh. Seventh movie? Yeah. And so the seventh movie, the original guy comes back and he reinvents it in a way that makes sense. It's not a big jump. It's not just putting him into space. It's not just doing... We still haven't gotten a Freddy in space. We haven't gotten a Freddy in space, but we don't need a Freddy in space. This is a good way of uh, turning it meta, and it works with the character to make it so he's someone who comes out of stories because he's coming out of dreams, and it's going back to basics of just being afraid of one's sanity and also what's just the darkness of dreams in someone's mind rather than oh i want to see this goofy guy kill people in a goofy way right so it's just it's just good it's so late in the franchise it's by this point it's you've given up on everything right it's they never do that where someone's able to reinvent it do something different not just reboot it but actually do something that adds to the original franchise in a interesting scary way yeah, and it's interesting that you you reference heavily the fact that it was so late in the game, but this was an idea that Wes Craven pitched initially for part three. Really? And they ignored it. It's interesting to look at the history of uh, Wes Craven's relationship with New Line and with the series in particular, because yeah. it's something that he created, but had to sell off the character rights, I think, to get it made. And so he doesn't own any of it. And so, and they've, they've since, of course, they've very much buried the hatchet and that's how this movie got made yeah but there was a situation where he they pretty much ignored all of his ideas for part two he came and co-wrote the script for part three but they ended up heavily rewriting it yeah. they asked him i think to come and do rewrites for part four but then chucked his ideas out and i think like not to tell too many stories out of school but i think some of the financial arrangements are you personal so, friends of west craven <laughs> no, it's like, but i don't want to like, me this over a beer when, and i don't feel like we should talk about when it. bob shea listens to this show <laughs> as you know he will uh-huh. i don't want him to be like that guy but apparently there was a the uh, arrangement was such that he was cut out of a lot of the 
anything that he might have been entitled to from the franchise as a whole. Yeah. And it seems like they made a deal finally that would retroactively compensate him for a lot of that. Oh, that's good. But a lot of it was they had to work out some dicey business and personal stuff before they could get back around to this idea. Yeah, there was a weird moment in the film where they say, they're talking about Wes Craven, and they say something like, oh, he hasn't made a horror film in 10 years. I'm like, that's bullshit. He's <laughs> He's been making only horror films. There's still like the people under the stairs, you know, yeah. that he made within that time. And there's all these other like weird films that aren't as good as Nightmare on Elm Street. He's not at Scream yet, but it's like... He's still making horror films. That's still what Wes Craven does. Right. So it's weird to be like, you haven't... What, are you just neglecting all those other films? Well, I think maybe the line was that he hasn't made a good horror. Or something to that effect. People Under and the Stairs, man. Never seen it. You've never seen it? It's no. It's a little weird. It has weird moments where it's obviously like a white guy trying to write... A bunch of black characters, so there's moments where that are a little uncomfortable. But it's he liked he liked Twin Peaks and he liked the two characters from Twin Peaks so much he made them the villains in this. Which oh, it's um Big Ed and uh, Doreen. Have you not seen People on the Stairs? I've not. Oh God, they're the main villains. They that live sounds in, so good. They live in Har- uh They live in Hancock Park. Okay, and they're terrible like slum lords. And it's about this one kid from the downtown ghetto comes in and tries to steal steal uh, money from them with a bunch of other like uh, teenagers and stuff. But it's like a ten year old kid that goes in and tries to steal stuff, and then finds out it's a it's basically like an upscale Texas Chainsaw Massacre house that has where they're doing creepy things and they're keeping people under the stairs and. There's someone in the walls and but all that stuff. Everett McGill and what Wendy Roby? You said it was Nadine, also. Yeah. Well, it's um, yeah, it's the eye patch. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, Wendy Roby and Everett McGill. Okay, yeah, so they're this... the two. They're the two people that live in the Hancock Park mansion. This sounds super uncomfortable, and it yeah. just jumped way up my list. And there's <laughs> one girl that's like maybe their daughter, but maybe not. That is kind of the the kid who breaks into the house saves. So. It's it's an inter- it's a good film and it goes under the radar a lot, but it's uh yeah I'm aware of weird. it. I just I missed it. I feel yeah. like you're gonna have to bring it back for the show. Uh, yeah, I'll bring it back. I'll talk yeah. about this. Nice. I'll talk about this. Although we did have that one like fan who was like, I can't listen to this because I don't like horror, horror films. Darn. So I'll just keep coming back and talk about horror films. <laughs> yeah, he'll never hear an episode with you on it. Ha ha ha. Ha. I can go real uh, obscure, though. <laughs> um, but yeah, kind of jumping back to what Lex was talking about, uh, when they were burying the hatchet with Wes, essentially he was trying to find a place to jump off from the previous series er, uh, movies, yeah. Yeah. and he was like, it's incomprehensible. He just could not find a through line at all. Yeah, It so, doesn't make sense, because if you look at what they did with Freddy, they just kept trying to dive into his backstory with every single movie. And they made it so, even in the third one, which is pretty good, the third one, like, the backstory stuff was, oh, he's his dad is a hundred crazy guys. Oh, that's right. The, that's where Bastard Son of a Hundred Maniacs yeah, comes in. Yeah, Bastard Son of a Hundred Maniacs. That was the big reveal in that. And then he does. they do the thing that they do in all of these franchise movies where someone has a kid, they fight a psychic. You know, they have, like, they do that's all right, the things. That's right. The psychic was, what, part four? 
five was Dream Child. Yeah, was it Dream Child? And that's or the was one that where, Dream Warriors? Dream Warriors was three. Okay. And then Dream Master was four. Right. Yeah. I just, they're so forgettable because they're fun. And they also make it so they get into the dream demons and that's how he has these abilities. That I think was part of Freddy's Dead. Yeah, I think. I think it's part of Freddy's Dead. But I one thing I like out of a horror movie is that you don't explain everything. Right. I like having a sense of mystery and you don't need a reason for him to be coming back into people's dreams and killing off the the sons of the people that killed him. That's just enough. It's like he's evil. Right. Very rarely does being able to empathize with the monster make the monster more compelling. No. And that was every single... I think that's what it was. Every single movie was empathizing with the character more, with the bad guy. Right. And it was a running... It was a different good person every single time. Nancy's in the third one, but she's not... And she's the she's the person in the first one. And yeah, then this you bring one too. she comes back, and I think John Saxon they brought back for three, and then the, some of the characters cross over from three to four. Um, yeah, and Johnny Depp has like a cameo in Freddy's Dead. It's yes, and apparently, uh, as the story goes, and this has uh, been confirmed by both parties, apparently uh, Craven wanted to get Johnny Depp to come in. Uh, for New Nightmare? For New Nightmare, just to have a little part, even if it's just a cameo it's as himself. It's weird that he isn't in it. I feel like he should be in Apparently it. Apparently the reason he's not in it is because Craven was just too insecure about asking him. Oh. And after the fact, Johnny Depp was like, I totally would have done that if you yeah, just I asked. he would have. Oh, Wes. <laughs> <laughs> I get the sense that Wes Craven was actually a really nice guy. I had a friend who was his assistant for a while, and he actually turned into... Um, I went to college with him. I went to Emerson College, and he made a lot of horror movies in Emerson College. And then he became Wes Craven's assistant, and he wrote the new reboot of Last House on the Left. Huh. Hmm. So, But that was because he was Wes Craven's assistant for a good like three or four years, and then got the opportunity to like redo a Wes Craven project before, before he left. So he actually gave his assistant... like. The opportunity that we're all like hoping for. That's insanely cool. Yeah. yeah. So I, Wes Craven's actually supposed to be. That's what was I hear. A super nice I guy. hear that he was just the most incredibly sweet, sensitive man. And yeah. it's so interesting when you look at his body of work and how terrifying so much of it is. He actually, after I revisited this movie, and I I'd seen it so many times. Like I grew up with. All, all of the slasher series. Yeah, yeah. So like I had the DVD box set of this. I have seen all of them multiple times. Hadn't seen it in years and years. So I went back, watched it. And then I jumped online and I started pulling up, you know, whatever information I can find. And BuzzFeed a couple of years ago did a really big piece where they talked to Wes Craven and Heather Langenkamp. And Wes Craven was talking about how, uh, in his perception, you don't necessarily go to horror movies to see all the horrifying stuff to be to be made afraid. You go because it's a way to like cathartically process the fears that already exist within yeah. you about how terrifying existence and the world is. So that completely tracks that like he is an incredibly, or was, an incredibly sensitive, uh, empathic guy, was so aware of all of the horror and the pain of the world and maybe felt ill-equipped to process it without exercising it by telling these stories, which feeds directly into the subject matter of New Nightmare. Yeah, and I hear Robert Englund was similar. 
or is similar because he's still around, I believe. Yes. Mm-hmm. But uh, and he plays Freddy Krueger, and he has played Freddy Krueger for years. Every single installment, with the exception of the reboot with Jack yeah. Riley. Yeah, yeah. Which I actually haven't seen. I skipped it because I was kind of like not my not it my Freddy. Feels sacrilegious, Hashtag but honestly, Jack Earl Haley in a world where there was maybe a bigger gap between. Like, yeah. say, even Freddy versus Jason. Like, if, if England as Freddy had had more time to fade from the conscious uh, directly associated with that character, I think Jack Earl Haley does a pretty good job. It's weird that he was in it, though, just to go on a side tangent. Uh, I do have something I want to say about Robert England, but, like, it's weird because Little Children came out. So they're basically like, what if the character from Little Children were trapped in a basement and burned alive and then came back as a demon. Basically. Like, which is what Freddy Krueger is, except they initially he was going to be a child molester, but then they thought that was going to be too on the nose for a lot of child molestation cases that were coming out in 1984 were starting to kind of surface. Hmm. So they felt like it was too triggering or too sensitive for people, so they made him just a child killer. And not a, they, not a molester. They start, especially by the time you get to like the prologue in Freddy vs. Jason, they're, they don't explicitly state that he molested kids, but they lean into it pretty I mean, hard. He's, he's licking people through phones. You get the sense. Well, and dude, didn't they, in the reboot, I feel like they make it a little more explicit. I haven't I seen like, the reboot, so yeah, I'm not sure. I sure. feel like, and it's been, I've watched it, I think, when it was in theaters, but I, I vaguely remember there being, th- that element being more pronounced, like so much so that maybe uh, a number of the kids that the movie is tracking were victims of right. Freddy in that way when they were younger. I could be, that's, that's a weird thing for me to have in my brain if it was not right. in the movie at all. Yeah, maybe it's just something you assumed. But one of the things that... Uh, <laughs> just projecting on Projecting, this okay. I think we're about to make a breakthrough with Lex today. <laughs> and that's why we're all here. Yeah, <laughs> um, but Robert Englund has talked about how he's he always saw Freddy as a... Uh, as a personification for childhood neglect, for when you neglect uh, children or you ignore what they say or that you don't believe them or you're just not there for them as much as they need you to be, mm-hmm. he represents that. He always felt that. Which you can kind of see from, especially from the first movie and from this movie, where it's all about no one believes me because I'm getting killed in my dream and there's other people that are getting killed in their dreams. So who would believe that? And it's doubting someone's sanity, and it's doubting someone's ability. So that's what happens with kids. You don't believe them when something horrible happens to them. Right. Sometimes. 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 How'd you like it, Tori? What? How'd you like it? How'd you like the new Nightmare? I liked it a lot, actually. Having seen uh, one and three, the Nancy Jams. Yeah, the Nancy Jams. Um, I I found The Nancy Jams box set. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I found it still I guess not still because it's my first time but I, I found it very unsettling um yeah. I surprisingly when I, scary yeah because we got so used to him as a cartoon character and now all of a sudden he's he's scary again yeah I had read that this is what Wes Craven originally wanted him to be is this really menacing yeah. uh, presence and I loved just the Lovecraftian feel to it, where it's like, there's this ancient thing, and the only way you can capture it is through story. Like, that aspect of it totally worked for me in, the, in, in terms of, like, how they were able to bring this character into the real world. Yeah. Um, like, and even just the weird through line of the earthquakes, um, 
it to me, if if you were to interpret it this way, it felt like the earthquakes were a result of this this being trying to ascend yeah. and like mm-hmm. trying to essentially push through the earth, yeah. which I thought was a super fascinating aspect, especially living in California, knowing that and, like earthquakes are a thing. And it's also the movie was filmed and released in 1994. Which was the biggest earthquake? Well, that so LA has had. Some of the footage in the movie is from that earthquake oh, that really? happened during production. Right. Well, like the rubble and stuff. That was happening? Yeah. That's during production, apparently. Because I saw that it was the earthquake happened in January. I so okay. I've seen now. Yeah. Since you say that, I've seen two versions of it. I see very frequently people talking about how it happened during production, and I see with some frequency, slightly less often, that it happened a couple of months afterwards. Because it's creepy if it happened afterwards. Because there was, it's it seems like it was inspired by those earthquakes and not the cause of them. Yeah, well, mm. I had actually read that the earthquake happened like a a couple months before they started shooting. Yeah. So Wes sent out like a, a B crew to just get a bunch of like B roll for it. Okay. And then he started writing it into the movie. I oh, see. that makes sense. That does yeah. track because yeah. it does feel like a little bit of an add on, but it feels like a welcome addition. Right. And that yeah. would track, too, with how much in this script is pulled directly from the real, the quote-unquote real world that we live in, but also the real lives of the characters. Like, there yeah. is a huge amount of overlap between the Heather Langenkamp character in the movie and Heather Langenkamp's real life. Like, we were talking before about how going back through the series, Craven was having a really hard time figuring out what the hell the story for this could possibly be. So he talks about having uh, a lunch meeting with Robert Englund and a lunch meeting with Heather Langenkamp, and that's where they started talking about like she at that point was a, a fairly new mom. She was she is like she is in the movie. She's married to an effects guy. I think as oh, of really? as of a couple of years ago, the two of them uh, run AFX. If oh. if you're familiar with AFX, it's like an all an all purpose like one stop makeup effects studio. Oh, cool. Um, as of three years ago, I think they were still running it. Uh, you'd have to do the homework. I didn't to find out if that's still the case. <laughs> um, but all of this, and then she also had a, a stalker. At that time. Yeah. And the stalker was somebody, I think, was somebody that was upset that uh, the TV show she was on, Just the Ten of Us, I believe is the title, upset that it got canceled and was hounding her about it. Yeah. But so out of this meeting came a lot of these ideas and how we can start tying this ancient supernatural negative entity and by extension, Freddy, into these real world hyper jarring scenarios. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the I love the Wes Craven's speech where he's like uh, explaining basically what the what this demon entity is and how it was contained by these movies for the last ten years. But then it says, but then you know characters get killed off, and sometimes they get killed off because they just become stale after after all this time. But I was like, wow, he. He does not like those movies. Well, they took another not. shot at it a couple years later when they did Scream, and I know that Kevin Williamson wrote Scream, but yeah. it's another Craven joint, and real early in the movie, the, joint. The, the, the Drew Barrymore character uh, gets asked a question by Ghostface about Freddy Krueger, and, and Ghostface is like, oh, yeah, I saw that one. It was scary. And she goes, oh, the first one was, but the rest sucked. So, yeah, Craven's real open about... <laughs> it would have been great if Ghostface was like, oh, I don't know, I like New Nightmare. <laughs> is New Nightmare? She's like, oh, you're right, that good. one was classy. And she turns you, and winks at the camera. You know right. what would be interesting is if these guys, these films got meta. What did he say, <laughs> films? No. No, 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 no. I'm in the house. <laughs> <laughs> but so you you bring up the meta thing and and yeah it's it doesn't seem as 
as odd now because we live in the age where like no. everybody does the meta thing like curb your enthusiasm forward it is so not unusual to see actors playing fictionalized versions of themselves but at the time that was a pretty uncommon thing and i think that is also part of why even though it was very well received critically it didn't do a ton of business and i think it's possible that part of that is people didn't quite know what to make of it well i i found that I find that unfortunate because I think the meta side of it is what was terrifying for me because it made it seem like, I don't know, it just, because there's a part of me that's always looking at how stories are told and trying to tell my own stories and I get fascinated with archetypes and stories and just to see that bleed into the real world and just be such a fan of Freddy Krueger that did become a kind of a pop icon. Like I love that producer's office where you see all those like, Andy Warhol kind of Freddy Krueger. And like the dolls and stuff. The dolls. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what Freddy Krueger had become. It was like, a mascot. You see it in the scene where uh, Heather Langenkamp goes on that talk show yeah. and they surprise her with Robert Englund in full makeup and he pops, he comes out and he's just like, love you, babe. Let's do lunch. It's like, yeah. they're all leaning into very awarely how there's nothing scary about this dude anymore. He I, is Bugs Bunny, like you said. Yeah, I had a Freddy Krueger outfit. When I was like nine or eight or something, I had like I had the, the glove, mask yeah. and the glove and the sweater, and I went for him, and I had like a foam fedora because the <laughs> yes. the outfit always came with a foam fedora, and it was always I was very disappointed with it because everything else was like at least this is cloth, at least this is latex, at least like the the glove is really cool. I kept the glove for like years, mm-hmm. but then the foam fedora is just oh, it's terrible. But I, I mean, I shouldn't have had it's I had it as a kid because he was everywhere. And it's like what she says in, in the movie, how Freddie, every kid knows Freddie. It's now Santa Claus or King Kong or it's just it's in the zeitgeist. Everyone knows who this character is. And um, so that's why I like but having it be a symbol of something darker, holding back something darker was scary to me. Oh, it's, yeah. It's another reason why. You mentioned Lovecraft. Yeah. There's another meta Lovecraft movie by John Carpenter called In the Mouth of Madness. Have you ever seen that? I haven't. It's another great one. It's great, Which yeah. I, I was actually going to, because I didn't know if we settled on New Nightmare, so I was like, okay, I was going to come up with a list of all these horror movies. Oh, dude. And one of them was going to be In the Mouth of Madness. Come back and give me an excuse to watch In the Mouth of Madness again. Please. It's So what the, the premise of that is, um, it's basically HP. There's a Stephen King H.P. Lovecraft type writer who's gone missing. And so Sam Neill is his like manager or agent and, mm-hmm. and has to go find him. And in the process of finding him, finds the mythical town that he has created. It's like you're looking for Stephen King and you find Derry. Or you're looking for H.P. Lovecraft and you find Arkham. Yeah. Like it's, he finds the actual town and then the weird stuff from the stories start to happen in the town, and then it bleeds out to the rest of the world. And even though that was like all fictional, this was this was based off of real life stories that that we had in a new nightmare. And then it bled off from that, which makes it seem like I don't know, somehow that it's possible because it's like oh, it's like this is happening right now. And when you read a book, and then they're reading the script of the actual thing, it's like you're witnessing a spell that was cast and. To, in order to like keep them down, it's also why House of Leaves is a great scary book. Yes, mm-hmm. because it's I just all, read that for the first time pretty recently. So scary because it's existential and has that same meta feel, 
where it has like an editor who's been reading it the entire time and it keeps writing notes and it seems like they're going insane and now you're reading the copy. So are you going to go insane? And it's just all of, it's kind of, you start to think of your own self and how you are placed in the world when you play with meta things like this. And it isn't done in like a winky sort of, ah, I'm a video game now. Yeah. No, like too, like you talk about House of Leaves and then you also talk about Lovecraft. And what I really like about both is this feeling I get from these stories that there is something, there's just the slightest veil covering this infinite abyss of blackness and horror and things to, that will drive you so insane immediately yeah. because you cannot comprehend it. And it is so close that if you just scratch the paint off a little bit, the entire thing is going to open up. That's terrifying that's why i think i find the ocean so terrifying if i sit yeah. and i think about it for too long because we don't know what the shit's down there <laughs> we don't know how much shit is down there just all like the cthulhu's cthulhu town yeah just like a, a plantation of cthulhu's plantation. Which whole plantation <laughs> you go with yeah. plantation on that one <laughs> uh-huh. i didn't plan that and here we are plantation of cthulhu's <laughs> Now I feel bad for the Cthulhu's. Now I want the Cthulhu's to be freed from their plantation. <laughs> I actually imagine them more like like being the plants of the plantation. Like, oh, okay. Like, like uh, there were just rows and rows of Cthulhu's. <laughs> and every so were... often someone would come in and just start plant- picking them up. It's really more of a co-op. Uh, okay, yeah, that's yes. much better. Because really I was picturing a... them like working the fields. <laughs> no, no, it's, <laughs> in, it's, it's like one of those big like white townhouses, right? Like uh-huh. one of those giant, but it's it's more of like a... Cthulhu is kind of the one running the plantation. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I'm just a simple old Cthulhu. <laughs> I don't know much about life, but I do oh. know I love my sugar cane. <laughs> oh, dear. Like HBO's Cthulhu Plantation. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. If that's uh, what the Confederacy turns out to be about, it's about the Cthulhu Plantation. They're like, we read the room. We're going to pivot a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Cthulhu's. Don't worry. <laughs> you guys like sci-fi analogies or... <laughs> Yep. Analogies is the word I'm going for. I also love how Cthulhu has become its own noun, like its own term for a thing, and it's not a one old god. It's now Cthulhu's. Yeah. Yeah. Just like a bunch of Cthulhu's. Everywhere. Totally. Bunch of old gods. Cthulhuan. Yeah. I had a Cthulhu once. uh, Stopped working after 10 days. Couldn't get it. All the tentacles dried up on on its mouth. They just curled right up. You didn't get it. Couldn't take it back. Like the Cthulhu warranty? Uh, I thought it was a waste of money. No, nah, dude, like for three out, years, gee, if man. those tentacles go out, you can return that Cthulhu and get another Cthulhu of equal or lesser value. Yeah, I figure, but like 10 whole dollars for a Cthulhu warranty. You guys is... ever you guys ever get a Cthulhu at L.L. Bean? You could just keep lifetime go back with your Cthulhus and keep getting Cthulhus at L.L. Bean. That's true. Ooh, I'm not allowed to go back there. To L.L. Bean? <laughs> yeah. What did you do? Uh, steal their beans <laughs> yes they were like what are we supposed to be just LL and then a guy uh, named Jay came in and he had these sunglasses and he's like yo I got you <laughs> yep, cool. yep. I, that- s- I saw where this is going like, I, started, <laughs> I started my sigh real early <laughs> cool ah uh, jeez Jay um, so <laughs> I was I was uh, thinking about this movie earlier and how, uh, one, that kid is a phenomenal actor. God, that kid. Uh, Migo Hughes, who yeah. is also the kid in Pet Cemetery. That's yeah. what it is. I was also trying to think of, like, that kid was just, it reminded me of the kid from The Shining, you know? He was, like, he was perfect creepy level, while at the same time feeling like something was taking over the kid. 
and not feeling like you should just shoot that kid right now. You should shoot the kid. What? A part of it too, and this was part of what what uh, Wes Craven wanted to shoot the kid. Jesus, <laughs> shoot the kid. Yeah, I was like, don't don't skip over <laughs> that like, part. Like I tried, man, I tried, but the pull was too powerful. What I'm saying <laughs> is, you didn't want to shoot that kid. Most of the time, I watch a movie and I just want to shoot the kid. <laughs> I just want to shoot all the kids in the movie. Right. You're like, is that a, that's what most it, people think? It's the pragmatic thing to do, you know. Kindergarten cop wanted to mow them all down. <laughs> you must love the end of the mist. Oh yeah. Mwah. Classic. <laughs> That's your rosebud. Ooh, perfect. Um, okay, so uh, part of here we go. Part <laughs> of what Craven wanted to explore as a concept is the impact of horror on culture, on the people that yeah. make it, and also the question of, and they raise it directly in the movie. You know, would you show your son? These movies? Are you afraid right. that it would potentially impact him in a negative way? And I like, like as we're seeing the way he's blurring reality with fiction, it could go. You know, is Heather truly experiencing a supernatural force trying to rise up and mess with her, or is it a woman that's going a little bonkers because of all of the things she's been exposed to and having to deal with in her life? And with the kid, uh, with Dylan, it's much the same. Is he? truly being possessed by Freddy or is it you notice in the movie he doesn't start behaving that way until after he catches some of Nightmare on Elm Street on TV yeah so is it a supernatural force or is it this piece of media acting on him in some way and Craven's very public about not believing at all that media is the source of real life violence right but that it can affect or shine a light perhaps on the violence that already exists inside somebody yeah I also saw the fear of of um insanity and the fear of of knowing it sounded like uh the main character had like a history of of mental illness she referenced her her mother yeah yeah so she's afraid of it being passed down to her kid and then also like not knowing if the kid is and and her are both going insane or if this is a real thing that's happening and and that's one thing that's why freddie is so cool because he's not just a guy with a big knife who walks real slow. He's a guy that is in your he's in your dreams. He attacks you through your dreams and so you don't know if he's real or not. And also why it works in a meta movie is if you're watching these horror movies and you're seeing a bunch of Freddy Krueger movies and he scares you, you're probably going to start having nightmares yep. starring Freddy Krueger, mm-hmm. which is even more horrifying because he's supposed to be in your nightmares, and that's how he kills you. Mm-hmm. So you can't even have a nightmare about Freddy Krueger and be like, it's okay, it's a nightmare. That's the point. It's, it's like, it's a nightmare, <laughs> and you're probably going to die. If you have a nightmare about Freddy Krueger, you're going to die, is what I'm trying to tell everyone. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's why that's why this was such a genius idea to do a movie like this where it's it became it, it turned into reality because you're you've already implanted in the subconscious this very distinctive character who from the gate is like you can draw Freddy Krueger the profile is perfect it's like has that um superhero iconic profile more than any other horror character out there except for maybe chucky well i too i was what i was thinking just now is freddy too and they take it way too far in this direction the longer the series goes on but when he is as scary as he gets something that i think makes him even scarier certainly more compelling is that until you get 
to Chucky, he's really the only one of this lineup of iconic slashers from that era that seems to truly delight in hurting people. Yeah. Like, we talked about uh, Jason essentially being a killing machine past right. a certain point. He's basically a killbot. Well, uh, he's also a servant of God. That's my that's my theory when it comes to actually Jason. Is it because he's, he's always punishing for like punishing moral transgressions? I just saw Jason Lives, coincidentally, like two weeks ago. Because I was having a horror movie marathon with my friend. And it was Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. So we all watched like... We tried to pick the best Friday the 13th movie. So we picked Jason Lives. And in that movie specifically, there's a little girl who prays... And, and he so walks he right moves past on. Yeah, he's like he's an agent of God. He is like <laughs> he's a pilgrim. He's a prude. He's he's a Puritan. Well, until you get to the reboot where he starts killing people because they mess with his weed. Oh right, is that what happens at the beginning? Yeah, the kids find all the pot growing around Crystal Lake, and Jason's like, "Not my weed, bros!" and starts killing them. <laughs> oh, I hate that. <laughs> but also, so, but when it comes to Jason too, if you look at. If you look at, they had to find Jason. Jason didn't come out really until the third movie. He's the the twist of the first movie. Spoiler alert: is that it isn't Jason. Right, it's, it's Jason's mom. mom. And even in the second movie, he's a guy with a bag over his yeah, head. Yeah, the hockey mask doesn't show up till the third. Till the third one, and then he finds it randomly and puts it on, and then they're like, "Oh, hey, this works. Let's continue doing it." Right. At least Mike Myers, who is my boy, I like Mike Myers a lot more than I like Jason. Well, he's wearing that Shatner mask. Too. Yeah, he's got that mean spray painted Shatner. Because he's mm-hmm. also like right out of the gate. He, you know what, you know what Mike Myers is, and right out of the you know what Freddy Krueger is right yeah. but but and so like powers J- yeah. yikes so yeah. Jason being fat bastard, man. Yeah. a bit jeez oh man <laughs> like I would wa- I totally watch a fat bastard slasher movie um, if it involved killing fat bastard then yes I would be just happy. over like what is the, the happy death day but starring fat bastard sure. I mean I imagine him <laughs> being like this cereal baby eater I think that'd be fun I'm just saying as a fat bastard myself oh. uh, he does not <laughs> He he does not do well for our people. He does yeah, not poor representation. No, you didn't have a father. Yeah, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but so uh, Jason is just mean a, like I eat babies. That's right, what that's what it. I'm saying. Like yes. a fellow baby eater, he's not. I don't say get in my belly though. I right. just say excuse me. Can I eat your baby? Right. That's a lot more polite. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Far less confrontational. And first, his, he shoots the kid. I hate his manners is what I'm saying. That's what it is. That's, <laughs> That's what it is. So so uh, Jason, essentially a killbot. Michael Myers, who I agree, if I had to pick one over the other, I'm a Michael guy too. Yeah. He's basically... because well, they're the same person. They're unkillable death machines. But I like the idea of Michael Myers as almost like the inex- uh, abstraction of evil in human yes. form. But no, point being no real, doesn't really take joy. He's just a force of nature. But he's also something that, if we're, as we're getting into Mike Myers now, he's someone who started killing when he was a kid for no reason. Right. For no reason. At least when you get Jason, you're like, oh, he was picked on. He's killing his bullies. He doesn't like and anyone that looks like his bullies. saw his mom die. I like, get it. Yeah, he's avenging his mom. Oh, I feel bad. He doesn't like sex. Oh, he's sexually repressed. When it comes to Mike Myers, he's just, he doesn't matter. Just he's pure, just, pure He's there evil. to murder. And if anything, the only fixation he has is he's got to make sure every one of his family is dead. Yeah. That's the only, <laughs> yeah. that's the only real fixation that he has. I like, I like the first, the 
first third of Halloween H2O is ba- every time they cut back to him, he's basically just on a road trip to get across the country to that school. Right. <laughs> um, but so even even Leatherface, who comes before all these guys right. and is at times the most brutal of all of them. Leatherface is most realistic. We talked about it in the in the Texas Chainsaw show. Yes. Leatherface isn't doing it because he's vicious necessarily. He's no. doing it because he's terrified. He's like a terrified, poorly trained guard dog in that movie. And he's also like if if the Texas Chainsaw family uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre family was like the show Dinosaurs. He's <laughs> he's the baby dinosaur. Yes. He's the baby gotta love him. Uh, uh, arms full of chainsaws. <laughs> <laughs> Careful, because he's like that. You feel like he's the baby of the of the of the group. They oh, yeah. treat him like the baby, even though he's like the biggest like uh, person of the family. And he also has a family. It's about a family connection, and um, and even the saw is family. And saw it's, is family. Saw, and it's uh, by the way, the if you want to see the best trailer of all time, I think um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre three. Or I think it's called just Leatherface. Three is the one where it flies out of the lake like Excalibur, yeah, it's, you right? See, you see, you see Leatherface in front of the lake, in front of a lake, but it's from the back, so you don't quite know if it's Leatherface. You just see a big guy, mm-hmm. and then out of the out of the lake rises a female hand holding a chainsaw, which is which propels through the air. And then Leatherface catches it and turns the camera, and that's the trailer. <laughs> Why? And the movie's nothing like that. And I think that's the one with Matthew McConaughey. That's the fourth one. Oh, that's the fourth uh, one. Three is the one, I believe Ken Forey is in it, and Viggo Mortensen. Viggo Mortensen, that's who it was. Oh, yeah, okay. Anyways, uh, back to New Nightmare. <laughs> but yeah, so point being, out of all of these guys, until like Chucky really digs killing people, but until you get to Chucky, Freddy is the only one who seems to really be having a good time. Like, and of course, it ties into the, like all the tongue stuff. It's like weird. It's uncomfortably sexual, and he he's all about it. Right. And I think that's why he's so appealing. Is that like I think that for the other ones, they're yes, they're supposed to be hard to relate to, but like. Everyone knows that the the best villains are the ones that like really uh, savor what they're doing, and they're really like like I know everyone gives mustache twirly villains a shit, but like <laughs> shit, right? Uh, but I feel like they're also the most enjoyable because they really like have a passion for what they're doing, right? And so like that's why you could essentially have him turn into Bugs Bunny, but still have the appeal that he he did. I I feel like. Dream Warriors is my still my favorite. Yeah. So like, even though he got to like Bonkers Town in that movie, I feel like it's still that's the one where like the giant phallus eats Patricia Arquette or tries to eat Patricia yeah. Arquette. Yeah. yeah. Lawrence Fishburne's in that movie too. Right? Yes, he is. Back when yeah. he was still Larry Fishburne. Yeah, Larry. And Fishburne. it's got the dude who is in Body Double that looks like Bill Maher. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Very specific. <laughs> if you Google this guy. He looks, dude, who's just a body like, double who looks look, like Bill Maher. I guarantee you, you will get a result for that. Okay, do it, do it right now. Okay, continue talking. Okay, yes, um, I well, yes, I feel like that is the main appeal. That's why he can be this mascotty character is because he he has so much personality and he. He has likes and dislikes, and and yeah. I think that he's that's got a the clear point of view. Yeah, and it also he's also a guy that you don't feel like. <laughs> after watching uh, 
Batman uh, versus <laughs> Two Face, <laughs> that which we're going to talk about at, at Comic Book Exchange tonight. The uh, backstory, uh, but it's a, uh, I you know he's not a supervillain who's like tying someone up to uh, a giant coin to flip them on their heads, and you're like, why aren't you just shooting them? That makes no sense. That it makes absolutely no sense. But with Freddy Krueger, you feel like that's it's not about the kill; it's about the chase. Like he's really into the fear and the chase and 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 freaking them out and, and finding, giving them nightmares. Yes, and finding really inventive, specific ways to kill them. Right? It's not the what because the what is I'm just I'm gonna kill this one too. Yeah. It's the how that I think he generates. So and it's most of it is not. It's clearly not for them except to terrify them as much as possible. It's clear he's just doing this to make himself chuckle essentially. Right. Um, but some of them be like the, even you get to Freddy's Dead, the video game thing, the hearing aid that makes the the deaf guy's head explode. You haven't seen this, right? We're no. just spoiling everything. That's fine. Uh, I, uh, by the way, does Freddy die Lex, in that one? <laughs> you are very right. Uh huh. The I told you. <laughs> uh, this is actually kind of amazing because I got to give it up to Google because I literally wrote "dude who's in body double who looks like Bill Maher." <laughs> And I misspelled Mar, so it, it corrected Mar and said, We've, we're showing the results for correct spelling of Bill Mar. And first one is IMDb for body double. And I was like, oh, see, that's what's going to happen. You're just going to get body double. Second one, though, is Craig Wasson. Craig Wasson. Who exactly <laughs> is who you're talking about, who's also in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. There we go. Oh, good job. Looks, <laughs> looks so much like Bill Mar. I, I love that Google has planned this out for people like you who type that exact <laughs> phrase into it. Okay. It's, it's, what were we talking about? <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, we were talking about Freddy. Oh, and how and he has a clear appeal. point of view. Yes. And how the yes, clear yeah. point of view makes him immediately more, even when, they again, they lean too far into the jokiness, it still makes him very entertaining. It still makes him very charismatic, very interesting to watch do his yeah. thing. Yes. And you know what I also like out of a horror movie is I never like, I don't think, I, I, I find it disappointing when I leave a horror movie feeling like everything's fine mm-hmm. and everything's like wrapped up and it feels more like a victory and it's not scary. It like doesn't stay with me as long as it does. And the original Nightmare on Elm Street does not have a happy ending. No. He, he's definitely still around. He just plastic manned himself into a car and drove <laughs> away. Because you get the. That's something I also love about Fred Krueger, is he's basically evil plastic man. Well, he also he like splits himself, right? Because he's the car, but at the same time, he also busts through the window and pulls the mom in yeah, through the window. Yeah, because he's, he's a dream demon. He's like everywhere. Um, and he can do that in dreams. But also in this one, in a, in a new nightmare, I get the feeling at the end, they're just keeping the demon at bay. That's They made this movie. In order to keep the demon at bay, but it's still there. Right. It's like you can destroy an avatar of evil, but evil is a concept. Evil is far bigger than any single entity. So yes, they right. end up they end up burning Fred. And I like that they set up the Hansel and Gretel thing and they pay off yeah. the Hansel and Gretel thing with the oven. And also you get the feeling like the only way to defeat him is the way you defeat something in a story, is to defeat him in a storybook way. Right. And that's what that Hansel and Gretel thing is. And that's why it worked, even though... 
you know, he's just burning in the fires of hell. I mean, isn't he used to that by now? But like when too, you watch as he burns, you watch him shift, shift shape from the visage of Freddy into this big, like demon looking thing before he completely disappears. And yeah, maybe they did succeed in completely obliterating whatever exactly that was, but evil doesn't die with one vessel. Right. I also feel like even if, cause we earlier talked about the chance that this is, there was never a Freddy in this situation. Um, and that essentially, even though we get this semi happy ish ending where she and her son are reading the script, it also feels like the moment that the, the other shoe drops and the hospital catches up with her from escaping and her son, uh, leaving a room with a dead body, um, there's still going to be consequences to pay. Although nurses did see that dead body at least have that death where it's flying through the air. I feel like they'll at least be like, I think that she should keep the kid. Well, maybe. But like we see it through the prism of this movie. But from their perspective, it's not like any of them were like, oh my gosh, she's floating. It could have been that when they walked in that room, he had stabbed her with a scalpel. Yeah, that's true. So like, yeah, there's right. still that ambiguity, which is really interesting to me. And I also like how the movie becomes, literally becomes a Freddy Krueger movie as it goes on. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like any Freddy Krueger movie in the beginning. And then the the uh, Nancy, who's, her name's not Nancy. Uh, Heather Langer. Heather. She actually starts to become Nancy, yes. and her dad starts. Yeah, to... Yeah, John Saxon is is her dad by the because the the dream and the reality they start to meld the same. And before that, you have these moments because the first time I was like, "Ooh, now this feels more like a goofy, even Wes Craven movie." Because people understand it's pretty goofy. Sure, yeah, Wes Craven's not like a straight laced, serious filmmaker in a lot of ways, but it felt like a pretty straight movie. Everyone was acting. Like normal people, they weren't doing that horror movie acting that you see in, like, Jason Lives or you see in all these other movies where they're just kind of like, I'm reading dialogue at you and I'm not listening to anything. Jason Lives, by the way, there's a moment where the two characters are talking on the phone and it just doesn't sound like they're talking to one another. (laughs) It's an amazing moment where it's just like, who are you both talking to? But anyways, back to this movie. They seem like everyone's like acting normal. They're having these moments until they get to the hospital. And then the nurses, like, they just like trick the mom and they trick the son and, and to put the son to sleep. Nurses don't do that. If anything, they'll call child services. Right. And then, then they'll bring this up. Right. But nurses don't act like that. And I feel like that's when the reality really started warping. Because I feel like then it became a horror movie. Then they started acting like they do in Dream Warriors or all the other Freddy movies. It's like they started acting like movie characters. Yes. And doing things that doesn't quite make sense. Interesting. I actually felt like when we got into the hospital was when it was most like a uh, a clash between a Heather's reality and the real world. Where essentially they're they're trying to look out for this kid and he's super sleep deprived and he has all these, what they see as issues. And from her perspective, her being Heather, um, like he's being tracked down by this dream demon. And so like, I feel like they're having real world reactions to her fantastical issues. 
And so like to me, that was the one of the more intriguing aspects, having uh, us tr- trying to figure out what's real in that hospital. I agree, but that's why I think it's like a turning point. That's what because I think you see that in the beginning of that hospital scene. But then by the end of it, right before they run out to the highway, then it's then it's different. Right. Then at the beginning of it, you're starting to like you, you're trying to figure out what's reality and what's not. And that's why it blends together. And that is the first time you really see Freddy full on. You don't just see before that you saw flashes of him. He's kind of in the corner. You don't really. Isn't that what, there's this scene, though, when he pops out of the closet, I think is before that. Yeah, but he's not in the full outfit. Right. He's like he's in the he's in the new trench yeah, coat. Yeah, they throw that trench coat on him. We mm-hmm. got to talk about his new look in this one too, because he also feels like he's gained two feet. Yeah, like he, he seems feels bigger. Like, he seems bulkier. He seems bulkier. He has this trench coat. His he doesn't look so much burned as just like his skin. It just doesn't exist. It's kind of it's almost like he was skinned, and it's all it's almost Attack of the Titans. Yeah, kind of <laughs> with his face, yeah. you know. And his even his uh, glove, his glove is interesting because it's it's part of his hand. Yeah. And but it's also not very naturally a part of his hand. You still see gears, and you still see like hinges underneath the bone. There's like bone and hinges, and you don't quite know what's what. And I think that's almost an analogy for the movie itself because yeah. it's it's you still see the workings of the of the glove. And I think as a kid, I didn't quite like the glove that much when I first saw this in 1994. Because I was like, I don't like this bone glove. I like the glove that he wears. Or if they give him, just don't give him a glove at all. But Or I like the opening robot glove that you see in the first dream. Mm-hmm. I thought that was real cool. And then by the end of it, I was like, I don't know if I like this. But I like it now because I think it represents the weirdness of the movie you don't know what's what you don't know what's part of him and what's just manufactured right well so speaking of like the ambiguity not knowing what's what so you guys were talking a minute ago about this the scene at the hospital where freddie kills julie the babysitter and she's floating through the air so did you notice as you were watching that she's behaving really oddly the entire movie like very shifty almost like guilty of something and it just never pays off in any way Oh, yeah, a little bit, yeah. So, as the story goes, apparently Craven's original idea was Julie was going to be a vessel for Freddy. And Julie was going to be behind all of the stalker stuff, all of the terrorizing Heather directly, because Freddy was essentially controlling her like a puppet. Right. And so he would actually say to Tracy Middendorf, like, the direction he'd give is, you're you're guilty. You did it. Go. And they kept all of that stuff they shot and never... Paid it off with kind of like anything because I kind of <laughs> like that it's like it's you're not quite sure of who's who and what's what right and it keeps you just as off balance as Heather feels the entire time yeah yeah which I which I like but I thought that it's something I'd never I'd noticed but I'd never thought about at all before why that choice was made yeah I read that I and maybe I'm a sociopath but like I didn't get anything maybe. weird or guilty about her at all. Like, she just seemed like a regular lady. I got that it was something was off, but I, I got that it was maybe... I kind of attributed it to her experiencing the same sort of things that the rest of the family was. Like, she was seeing it more firsthand than the than the father was. That's why she kind of believed it more. Right. And she wasn't very sure what reality was. Like, I felt like she was just as shifty as, as Robert Englund was. Uh, 
was or uh, Wes Craven was, you know, because they kind of feel like I'm also having dreams, but I don't want to admit it. Like <laughs> they're all having the like, yeah, we're feeling very weird too, but we're not actually going to confront this. We're just going to keep burying it deep down. Right. I was getting that sense from her. and When Craven's original idea for how to portray himself was also very, very different than what was in the final movie and much less flattering. I don't know if you guys know about this. No. So apparently the original idea was when we catch up with Wes Craven, the character, he was going to be uh, completely frazzled and living in a van driven by Michael Berryman, the actor from The Hills Have Eyes. And <laughs> he's, so free, he's basically on the run from Freddy and he keeps writing while they're moving around because somehow that's gonna help and apparently goes so yeah. far as to cut off his own eyelids so that he can't sleep presumably that, while he tries to bang the script out that feels more Wes Craveny. that yeah. feels like it's that feels like people under the stairs where it's like did you have to put him in a gimp suit <laughs> did you have to put that extra and I'm glad he didn't do it I think he restrained because he probably realized how that was getting more into the wacky side of things possibly it's possible he also realized that wouldn't be a whole lot of fun for him to shoot yeah i like and i also like what i think they actually shot around him and what the the producer bob Uh, Bob shay bob shay i think they shot around them really well because i feel like you get the sense they're not actors right you know and but they how they shot those scenes was good because they they were very simple they were brief and they represented what they needed to to represent and i like the idea that this entire time Wes craven has been predicting everything yeah and has just is kind of tortured by it but is like still living in his mansion (laughs) you know um so we're we're about to wrap up any last thoughts before we do Oh jeez! I know oh, flies that, by, that flew by. Um, yeah. I guess you know, I I I like how they keep. I wonder if there's gonna be any more Nightmare on Elm Street movies. I feel like now they're in such a stasis with it because the reboot was not all that it well received. Well I would received. think if you're gonna make any more, you bring Robert Englund back if he's game I to guess. do it. But or also, you make a sequel to Freddy versus Jason because that was really was fun. And that was well-received, and it was also really good, and it was kind of a nice return back to fun Freddy. Yes. Because even though I liked New Nightmare, I think I think it exists perfectly with the first one, and but there's still a part of you, just the way you like, and I know I'm talking about Adam West Batman a lot, but that's because it was a weird double feature for me today. But it's like how you like that genre of Batman... But you also like Frank Miller's genre of Batman. I think you could feel the same way about Freddy, where you can like the horror side of Freddy, but you can also like the Bugs Bunny Freddy, too. Yeah. That's what Jason vs. Freddy kind of brought back. Yeah, and I would be curious to see if they make another one, which direction they would try to go in. And it seems like with all of these iconic slasher characters, it's been a couple of years since anybody's really seemed to know what to do with them, with the exception, interestingly enough, of Chucky, but that makes a certain amount of sense because yeah. Don Mancini's basically been running that show since day one. Yeah, and he's and he's brought in um, what's who's Chucky's? What's the actor's name who plays Chucky? Brad Dourif, his daughter. Who, by the way, I don't know if either one of you keep up with these Chucky movies at all. Chucky's dad I boy. Just, I love Chucky. <laughs> I just watched. Do not let me re- let me give a shout out. Watch Curse of Chucky, mm-hmm. and then watch Cult of Chucky. Yes. Don't 
flip it around. No. Because that's what I did, and it wasn't that it's, great. Yeah, it doesn't work. Curse of Chucky's really good. Um, Cult of Chucky, I will tell you, it, it is kind of a... It feels like it's a holdover to whatever the next Chucky movie is. It doesn't quite feel like it has a wrapping. It does ending. feel a little bit like it's leading you directly into the next story. It feels like a, a yeah. I will. I know we're supposed to be wrapping. I will give them a lot of credit though in the case of those two movies for two things. One is the fact that unlike uh, uh, almost every other major slasher series, there has never been a reboot. There's it's all in the same continuity. We may be ignoring certain elements of the continuity here and there, but even like like cult folds back in almost every piece of that mythology. Yeah. That I think is really cool. And even though while I agree they're not necessarily reinventing the wheel every time, Mancini still continues to find ways to tweak it and add new things on top of it that are at least fun. And the other thing I got to give him mad props for is when I heard that they were casting Brad Dourif daughter is the lead of uh, Curse. I was She's like, really good. it was like I shrugged and I was like, I guess that makes sense if she wants to also, act or whatever. But you watch the movie and like, also she's... watch Dirk Gently's uh, holistic. She yes. Because she's, she's, she's the good. She's insane in that and she's really good. Um, also, uh, before we, I know, we've got to wrap. Guys, I'm not. Guys, listen. I know, we got to wrap. You want me out of your house, but right, I want okay. to stay here forever. All right, I'll, I'll see. I'll just, I'm going to walk out. Okay, just cool. Let me know when you're done. Just, we'll lock up behind us. Great, um, thank you. But one thing I did want to talk about, well, first, when it comes to the Chucky movies, it is interesting because I think Curse of Chucky was kind of him trying to return to form, the horror form. Yes, for sure. Because previously, the one before that was, what, Seed, which is Seed. about as preposterous as... It isn't like as John can... Waters in it. Yes, and, that's the one uh, Red Man. And at one point, Jenner, the, he tries to be a little meta by like involving Jennifer Tilly. As herself. As herself. But that's not... He didn't get it. He didn't do it as well. But like... It's the, the Curse of Chucky is a return to actual horror. It, it feels like it has a horror feeling to it, while still maintaining that the uh, the same Chucky has been there the entire time. So yeah. it has a bit of a different feeling than New Nightmare. But one thing I do like about these slasher films is kind of the love between all of them in a way. Because one thing I want to I, I love about the first Nightmare on Elm Street because I rewatched it last night in preparation to watch Nightmare today. But uh, the first Nightmare on Elm Street has Evil Dead yes. in it that he watches. They have Evil Dead on the TV at one point. And so in Evil Dead 2, there was a nice tip of the hat to Freddy Krueger by putting his glove in the basement in Evil Dead 2. And in not Jason Lives, but Jason Goes to Hell. The glove, yeah. And Jason Goes to Hell, there's two things. There's the Necronomicon from Evil Dead That's right. that they find in the basement randomly. No real reason. It's just there. And then at the very end, his mask is dragged down to hell by the hand of Freddy mm-hmm. for no reason. And then they waited like 20 years to pay it off. Not 20, but like quite a few years. When, But that was something that they have been working on for a long time. Like when Wes Craven came back to do New Nightmare... They were at a point where they would have done uh, New Line now had the rights to Jason because Paramount right. bailed, I think, after Jason took Manhattan. Um, oh, God, Jason but, takes Manhattan. We talked about that where he's mostly on a boat the entire movie. And that's where um, he uh, fights a psychic in Jason Takes Manhattan. That's, no, that's seven. That's, that's uh, seven? New Blood. Was New Blood? Okay. And and even then, they were talking about possibly doing Freddy versus Jason, and because of the rights, they couldn't do it, so they basically had him fight Carrie. But yeah. when New Nightmare happened, they were kicking around freddie versus jason but couldn't come up with an idea for it that felt organic at all and then craven was like how about this instead 
That's, I mean, Freddy versus Jason is also really good because Freddy uses the mommy issues of Jason by disguising himself as as Jason's mommy in his uh, in hell. And that's how he brings them out. And I love that. Yes. And so that Jason will kill basically in his name to make people afraid of him again so he can come back, which is actually a really as ideas to put yeah. these two together go. That's not bad. That's yeah. not bad. And also, but as they were fighting by Crystal Lake, they were building something at Crystal Lake. So I <laughs> I thought for sure that was going to be an S-Mart. Like, I thought that was going to be Ash's S-Mart. And then, so the next one was going to be Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. Which we also talked about. And they there was some reason that that never happened as a movie. But I believe, I could have looked this up since the last show. I believe it happened as a comic book. Yeah, and also someone made a fan film for it. I saw it on IMDb. Ooh. Yeah, there's like a lot. For some, at some point, IMDb allowed every fan film to be referenced on IMDb. So, or you can put it on IMDb if it's if it's screened at any convention or something. Mm-hmm. So it becomes very confusing when you're looking up Freddy movies because you see all these Freddy movies that happened in the 2000s that did not exist that people just kept making fan films. Yeah. I'm excited for Freddy versus Pennywise. Uh, That would be mine. That Uh, would actually be an interesting one. And the two of them constantly trying to one-up each other with scary gags. Yeah. Yeah, I would watch two hours of that. Yeah. Uh, Because I like, in a a very Lovecraftian way, I like the idea of humans just being the playthings of greater uh, deities. Yes. It makes me laugh. Yeah. And that's that's a much better way to escalate the Freddy myth than it is to just make him like... Let's see how crazy his he was as a kid. Let's see what he was like as a kid, yeah. though. Like, no, make him like a Cthulhu-type god. Yeah. That's a much better way of doing it. Well, I think, yeah, but maybe the biggest misstep in part six was that they explained this backstory where he had a family, and he's actually got a secret daughter, and it's like, I don't need they that. They always have a secret daughter. I was like, I don't need that. Just have him, have him cut some people up. Have, right. him, have him do the like weird comic book death from part five again, or like the bug trap. Thing or the one where he turns the dude into a pizza, yeah, in part four, yeah, eh. throws him onto a roof. That's breaking bad. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so hey, Dave, hey, thanks what? for joining us. Hey, no problem. Anytime. Oh my gosh, uh, this has been really fun. Um, where can people who listen to this show find you? On the internet. <laughs> they can find me at mrdavechild or davechild.com to see some funny videos. And it also puts a list of all the AfterBuzz stuff I host. And, uh, yeah, that's where they can find me. Nice. And in real life, too. They can see me all over the place. Yeah, all they have to Walking. do is stalk you. I'll, I'll, but don't. Please don't. <laughs> You know, call you every so often, send you burnt those pages, of pages. That, yeah. that say answer the phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't don't do that. Don't <laughs> please don't do that. <laughs> Ugh, fine. Boo. Just find him on DaveChild.com. We'll throw yeah. away the pages. Dave Child. Yeah. What about you, Lex? I am all over social media at the Lex Michael, and also in Dave's closet. Yep. Ooh. I won't let him go. <laughs> He's too sweet to me. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Tari J. That's T A R I J A Y. God, we all have. This after bus has ruined our way of talking. <laughs> yeah. We all have like a pattern that we say. Yeah. It's. We- 
We're hosts, bro. We're hosts. This is what we do. It's branding. Hell uh, yeah. I never wanted this life. That's, <laughs> but the life wanted you. Ooh. Speaking Ooh. of branding, I guess I'll do all the show stuff. Yeah. Hey, guys. If you want to catch up with this show, make sure you follow us at Missing Outcast, M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. And also, if you have the chance... Leave us a comment on iTunes. It's a five-star would be preference-verable. Preference-verable. Puffy syrup. Puffy syrup. It's real sweet. You know what you should do? You should teach your grandma how to listen to podcasts and then have her listen to this podcast. Yeah. Teach your grandmas about podcasts. (laughs) And the best way to do that is to leave all the comments and then stars. Uh, where can it, well, J, where can people find this show? Oh my gosh, you can find it on Stitcher. You can what? find it on Google Play Store. Uh-huh. And also on Apple Store. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, all the places. It's the claw Tell thing your friends. now that you're doing. Uh, Put it up there. Put it up. Yeah, in. put it up. Get really introspective. Okay, so that's, bye. That's a good. That's bye. it. That's it. <laughs> Swamp up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dumb.